And we're live. Welcome back we're to the podcast. <clears throat> this is great. Um, we're back for another great episode. Um, second week into 2019. I uh, hope you're all having a good uh, new year. I'm, I'm certainly enjoying myself. Um, yeah, how are you, June? Uh, I'm doing great. It, I think it was a, a long week. Mm. Just getting back into the swing of things. But I think I had a lot of, I took time to myself yesterday in Toronto, hanging out with friends, um, going to a Korean bar. So I'm, June is very satisfied right now. Yeah, I yeah. lost a bit of my voice because I went to karaoke after going to the Korean bar. Ah, uh, okay. You hung over at all? Not, not really. I'm, I'm well hydrated and not very hungover. Good stuff. Yeah, I, I took. A, I was at a party yesterday too, and uh, I didn't drink, so uh-huh. I'm like super, super ready for today. All right. Yeah. So, Paul. Oh boy. <laughs> what what kind of footnotes were you thinking about this week? Well, uh, the first thing I want to talk about. Um, so I saw this this comic on Reddit. Uh, I don't know if you saw it. It was like reposted onto. One of like Jordan Peterson or Joe Rogan's uh, Reddit subreddit as well. Uh-huh. It's what people think motivation is and what motivation actually is. Mm-hmm. Well, have, have you seen that comic? Yeah, you linked it to you linked oh, it on the group chat, so I saw it that way. Right. Okay. Yeah, I remember now. So the the premise is people think motivation is like this, you know, young pretty girl. Uh, okay, and from the perspective of the guy. It's like this young, attractive, seductive girl who's like, oh, can you do this for me? You know, like people think maybe like motivation looks like that. But in reality, motivation is actually this this little dude who goes and turns on this giant, massive guy whose name is uh, Discipline. And the Discipline just picks you up and he says, you will do it. And and that's how like motivation actually works. It's It's like this the tiny little spark that brings you back into that discipline routine. And that routine is actually what carries you through to doing things. And so that visualization has actually been really helpful for me. Like it's, it's helpful. It's been helpful this past week in terms of uh, me getting my stuff done. Cause I, I think for the last few years, I've been looking for some sort of passion, some sort of like, spark that could really propel me forward and and make me want to do things. And then like this past week, I've just sort of taken a different approach. I've just thought, you know, taking it step by step. Like I always think when I try to get out from my bed, for example, you know, I'm I'm just lying there and I don't want to get up and I don't want to get up. And usually I would just wait for this spark of inspiration to get up. But now I just say, you know what, I'm going to count down from three and on one, I'm going to get up. And so I just go three, two, one, and I just throw myself up. And that just gets me going through the day. So I, I guess that, that's what I, that's how I decided to um, actually actualize the, the visualization that someone made. And uh, yeah, it's been sticking with me. So um, grateful for that, I guess. Grateful for those content creators. <laughs> yeah, so... To kind of re-describe the idea, I don't know if it's too clear, maybe mm-hmm. two people are listening. Um, it, it's sort of the idea that um, maybe in the past you would have expected motivation to be this kind of incredible surge of, of energy that instantaneously motivates you and gets you excited and makes you passionate um, to do things. Uh, whereas, you know, Usually, we're not supplied motivation in in those high surges. Um, mm. It's it's more like a a tiny tick, a, a suggestion, a kind of little nod um, mm. that can provide the spark for um, for kind of different activities. Um, I like that that comic didn't resonate like hundred percent with me. Mm. I'm not sure why. Um, maybe a I frame motivational motivation in a different way. Um, but have you noticed any other way you've been 
kind of using that framework in your life? I think I'm like less inclined to look for those big surges of motivation. Like I, I take what I get, like I, I take, uh, I, I take what I can get. So if I, if I even have a, like a little bit of motivation to do something, I just sort of listen to it. And uh, I guess it's sort of an act of faith to just trust that that motivation is, is worth following and, and um, adhering to. Because sometimes, you know, you have these small ideas that come into your mind and then you're like, no, I don't really want to follow this. Like, I don't think, I don't really want to get up. Like, I'd rather just kind of lay here and yeah. um, enjoy the moment. Like, <clears throat> um, not everyone follows those little signals, right? So I guess I've been following that more. Um, and for some reason, like this, the idea of this huge jack guy, like carrying me around for some reason is just so comforting, you know? It's like, it's like I have like a spirit animal and he's like this giant, like Arnold Schwarzenegger that's like, <laughs> Yeah, trying to get me to do stuff. So, um, yeah, that's the visualization has been good. So I, I want to ask you too, like, um, like, well, why didn't it resonate? Like, what what sort of conflicts were there, like, with your own, I guess, conceptualization? Yeah, like, so in the comic, the kind of right way or the better way to conceptualize motivation is um it like the the work that you do let's say after being motivated by something is it seems like it's primarily carried out by discipline or and and i don't think that's entirely true let's mm -hmm. say. Um, i'm having a hard time thinking of an example um like when you get up in the morning it's it, it's not necessarily discipline um, that gets me up. For example, um, maybe it's like just the way you've been doing things, and there's a schedule, or like I've developed a habit of reaching for water when I get up in the morning, mm -hmm. and then just kind of stumbling over to the shower, and then gonna go going to make breakfast. It's like these chains of kind of small events that all link up together um, and and that kind of propel each other forward right mm -hmm. so it's going from it's like it's like a domino effect <laughs> going from very small domino to to like bigger and bigger dominoes mm -hmm. and the momentum kind of builds as you're uh, doing those kind of things um, so yeah what I didn't like about that comic is maybe uh, it seemed to imply like you're going from the smallest domino, your smallest sense of motivation, to like uh, the the biggest domino right away, <laughs> like um, as as a result of like pure will or pure discipline. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know if that accurately reflects what motivation is like, uh, at least for me, or when I feel motivated to do something. So. Like another example is like in the new year, I've been like very motivated and committed on like gaining weight and bulking, right? Mm -hmm. And I've, I've been thinking about the idea of momentum a lot. So, you know, over the break, because I got to eat so much and I saw that, wow, I can, I can gain something like 15 pounds in three weeks. Um, Cause I, I didn't know I could gain weight before. It was always like a struggle pushing against something that I couldn't break through. Right. But now that, you know, that was demonstrated to me that it was possible. Um, and with the new year and everything, there's all those little factors that kind of pushed me over the edge, that kind of pushed me over that threshold um, that made me really want to get into this and keep that positive momentum um, moving. Um, and, and so, yeah, like, I don't think I've ever really taken this seriously, like the idea of bulking and, and gaining weight and, and exercising so that that can happen. Um, so, you know, just, I'm, I'm thinking of motivation more in terms of, um, 
the growth of momentum and, and positive feedback loops. Um, but I, I do agree with the idea that the initial spark is just tiny. It's a tiny spark. It's it's up to you how you want to kind of chain it and, and what kind of um, positive chain reaction of mm -hmm. motivation um, you want to couple it with. <clears throat> mm -hmm. That's interesting. I, I've never thought of it as um, <clears throat> like a like a rolling event or yeah. like something that builds up. Um, I think maybe the way that I conceptualize it sort of in the way that you're talking about it is that huge guy that is disciplined doesn't start off huge, right? Like you, you kind of build him up as you motivate him more and more. Like he, he's getting jacked. Yeah. Um, he's getting swole as you, you know, activate him more and more. So, hmm. but I, I, I want to talk to you about that, the, the momentum uh, idea. Because I don't, I don't know if there's, a, I can't think of any examples in my life where I've felt like, you know, one thing leads to another, it leads to another, it leads to another. Sometimes I feel like, you know, oh, or maybe like the time span that I'm thinking about it is, is wrong. Um, maybe that momentum builds over like days sometimes or weeks. Because I know like over the break, I didn't do a lot. And mm -hmm. because of that, I think. I spend a lot of time thinking about, oh man, like what, what can I do better? Like, how can I improve? How can I not feel uh, inadequate or feel yeah. like I'm useless essentially? Yeah. And then when the new year started with, with uh, med school, like all of those ideas sort of culminated into, okay, I'm going to get my, get my shit together essentially. Right. So mm, that that's the only way I could think about it really. Yeah. Like, just to comment on like how difficult it is to build momentum. Mm -hmm. Like I, th I think there's a lot of things that stop us from building momentum in terms of our motivation and our sense of like well being. I think motivation uh, is very closely tied to positive emotion, right? Mm -hmm. So, so when you are propelled to do something, when you're attracted to something, the reason why you're attracted to do that action is, is partly because of your dopaminergic circuit, right? That's your reward circuitry. Mm -hmm. And the theory is that when you do something that is like intrinsically motivational, like approaching food or something, mm -hmm. um, then as you approach it, you get more and more dopamine released, more and more positive, what, emotion generated um, until the point that you eat um, that uh, and dopamine is also very closely tied to the formation of memory. Um, so as you're approaching and as you're eating that, you are you are you are reaching back to all those different um, moments where you've eaten in the past and had a positive experience. Mm -hmm. um, um, and so you've learned from those experiences um, that this action, this pathway, generates positive emotion and is intrinsically good for you. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, you know, motivation is kind of like that uh, positive feedback loop uh, within your dopamine circuitry. Um, so that like tiny bit of dopamine might get, you know, might connect to other memory and emotion pathways that you associate with and, and that builds and builds and builds until you motivate enough, um, you, you <laughs> use enough energy uh, to get yourself to your, I don't know, your hamburger or whatever mm -hmm. thing that was motivating you. Right. Right. So I, so I really think that um, motivation and, you know, what positive feedback loops, that generation of momentum um, are, are very closely tied, like even in the biological sense, the kind of problem I was getting at with, um, I guess are the the way our societies and and things are structured now is that I, I think there's lots of what blockage points mm -hmm. um, or or energy barriers that are so difficult to overcome or or very high very high cost energy barriers. Um, so one thing that everyone should be motivated to do is to socialize, right? Because we're social beings and we love to socialize and, and bond and have a sense of belonging. But 
like to do that, there are immensely high barriers. We've talked about this in previous podcasts. Mm-hmm. One of them is like culture. If you have to speak, if you're talking and like starting a conversation with someone, um, and you know, you meet a guy on the street and like the first thing, like you're supposed to greet them. What if your ways of greeting each other are different, right? Mm-hmm. Do you do a handshake? Do you bow? Like, what do you do? And then you start talking, and then maybe the dialect or like accent might be different. The kind of interests, like, and there's so many different interests you can have, like, like music, sports, you know, what you're studying, intellect, career, <laughs> like all those variables are kind of up in the air, and and there's so much diversity that it's very difficult to find common ground. So that's an energy barrier. The transportation energy barrier, um, like just getting to and from places because everyone lives so far away from each other, right? So I feel as though there are major blockages um, in in people's motivation systems um, that really makes it difficult for people to generate that uh, positive momentum of Mm of motivation and and positive emotion. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and, and I'm always thinking, so what are, what are some ways around that? Um, what are some ways that people have traditionally in the past um, gotten their, how did people in the past get their, what, social interaction um, without having to expend that much energy? And I think it was kind of, it was kind of baked into the culture organically, right? So, mm-hmm. so for example, like earlier this week, I sold my iPad. And oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, your old one? Yeah, yeah, my iPad yeah. and F- Apple Pencil, the older one. Yeah. And I was like thinking about the idea of exchange and trade and how like probably before Amazon and big box stores, like you would have markets, right? And then you could go to the market, it would be... Pro- you know, probably in like walking distance from where you lived, like a local mm-hmm. market, um, you would say, I don't know, you would see someone who like uh, ran that family's farm for the past three generations. And you kind of have an idea of who they are. And like your family knows their family. Just mm-hmm. go up to them and be like, while you're buying your, I don't know, tomatoes or something. It's like, oh, how's harvest this year? Uh, you know, or how's your family doing? Uh, what's your kid up to now? It's like in those kind of small interactions, you know, you can just think of it like just from a materialist perspective, it's just the exchange of goods and services for money, right? No, but it's it's much more than that. There's a, you know, deep social component that's mm-hmm. been baked into that. Um, it's kind of, they form a kind of synergy so that, you know, you don't, when you expend the like money or energy to go to the market, you're getting different kinds of rewards, right? You're also getting that emotional um, social connection with with others in your community. You're also getting the tomatoes, um, and you know, so you're gener- you're getting a lot of bang for your buck. Mm. <laughs> Nowadays, we're not we think we're getting a lot of bang for our buck by by siloing and specializing and. Um, I don't know, having all our goods sold at machine, like, you know, Mm, industrial factories, you know, Costco, Walmart, whatever. Um, But those kind of practices um, kind of take out the the richness of human interactions and and other rewards that I think we used to get in more traditional human societies. Mm. So, like, all that is to say is that like the way we've structured our societies um, is very deeply flawed in terms of like there are high energy barriers preventing people from finding positive emotion um, and things aren't synergizing as well anymore. Mm -hmm. We're left with a kind of rotting and stale culture. (laughs) Everyone feels disconnected. Mm. I'm sure a lot of people feel that way as well. Right. And I, I, th- I think it's really interesting because it, maybe, maybe the outcomes that we were, we've been looking at are just the wrong ones, right? So we're, society sort of built on efficiency and, and getting, um, 
you know, getting the product out there, having people buy things. And so, like, I, I don't remember, I, I don't remember the last time I've actually talked to a cashier, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, and what would you even talk about? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Like, yeah. it, it's such a, like, uh, the, the way it's set up too is, is very walled off, right? Like they have their little scanner and the computer in front of them. And then basically what's in front of you is the payment, like the the thing you tap your card on, or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like there's hardly uh, any sort of real interaction with, with the person standing behind the counter. Um, and, that, and the thing is it, it serves its purpose, right? The whole point is to get you out of there as quickly as possible so that the next customer can get in line and, and buy their goods. Yeah. Um, and so we completely ignore the other outcome of, of getting those interactions. I, I want to also like go back and, and uh, bring up another point because you talked about how, you know, when you're motivated to do something, you get all this like positive reinforcement. Uh, that, that basically makes up who you are, right? Like, the experiences that you have and the positive emotions that you get from them, they inform how you act in the world uh, as you as you go along, right? As, yes. you, as you move forward. Um, and so it seems like the easiest solution would be to get people to have more of those positive experiences in which, you know, they're interacting with other people and, and you know, they're getting positive motivation and, and, and positive feedback from it. Um, but I think the other point that you, you sort of touched upon is we don't have that anymore. Like we don't, we don't have those early exposures, those early experiences to sort of prime us to do more of these social interactions when we, when we grow up. Um, and, and I do want to give some credit to, you know, a lot of families who do try to still keep that up. Um, you know, I, I think my family in particular hasn't been that great in terms of of presenting those opportunities to me because our family sort of separate from everyone back in Korea uh, and we didn't really talk with our neighbors. But I think, you know, maybe when we become parents, you know, we can try a little harder to have those uh, um, social interactions and those conversations with other people and get our kids to actually enjoy that. Um, although barring like, Social media, I think, is also a huge Im impediment because it, it doesn't allow us to focus on um, who we are genuinely. It, it focus, it makes us, it shifts the focus to our masks and how we're sort of um, seen by other people. And I think that's why we we get this sort of um, this awkward generation of you know, like you're always worrying about how other people see your mask that. You, you never really build up your core self. And so every interaction is different. Every interaction is almost new because the first thing you think of is, oh, how do they perceive me or how, how do they see me um, instead of, okay, who am I and what can I bring to the table? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and speaking of social media, that's like a big, I would say, primary and the lowest energy <laughs> what? way to generate positive emotion right at least temporary positive emotion mm. you know, those likes and shares are the equivalent of i don't know high fives in real life or something yeah. you know they're, they're that kind of social validation that and connection that um, we all seem to be lacking in, in modern society um so like the the, the reason i connect to this issue so much is because like I've seen different aspects of it in my own life and like when I learn about broader social scale phenomena I can make that connection between like my own experiences and those larger picture phenomena mm -hmm. and, and it's very validating in a way it says like yeah like I'm not the only one who feels this way um the the roots of this problem like are not it's not just this although there's some some of this that is a problem um mm -hmm. but it's a much much deeper problem than you can imagine and it's been kind of been in the works for the past i don't know three four five hundred years or maybe forever mm -hmm. so you know the question that we always ask is like 
how do we improve things? Where do we go from here? Um, and like, I, I don't want to get to like the, the parenting and, and family aspect quite yet. I, mm. I don't think I'm there yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I could comment on it. I, so I went to uh, an event by at Mac um, and mm. Ken Jong, mm. uh, the Korean comedian. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the things that he said that stuck out to me was that, you know, his his father had had told him uh, that you know but when shit hits the fan when, when things are going down like the first place you turn to is like your family and and that's what your family's there for that that's what family is mm. um and and he was telling the story of how um his his marriage with his with his vietnamese wife um she's a doctor Ken Jong was also a doctor. Yeah, her name is uh, Doctor Ho, which he made a joke of. Ha <laughs> <laughs> um, But uh, his father, essentially, um, after like his experiences with Ken Jong and his wife and everything, kind of uh, told Ken uh, that you know, I think you know she's a really you know great woman for you. She's your she's your family. She's the person. Um, you should turn to when shit hits the fan. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, maybe maybe in our day to day lives, like we don't recognize like the value of family, or or maybe there are like many ways that our families could be better, that it could be better fostering like positive relationships, and you know, um, but but maybe the best sides of family come up during times of crises, right? Um, when so their crises was um, when Ken Jong's wife uh, developed breast cancer, like stage three breast cancer, with like twenty percent of uh, chance of survival, um, and she survived. But during those times of crises, like you know, Ken Jong was telling the story about how how his family really came together, and how his wife and his father and like the people around him really supported. Um, him uh, through that process um, that and it was during that time that he was you know filming the hangover and like that was kind of about his his breakout moment that was his breakout movie mm -hmm. um, so I don't know may, maybe a lot of the value that we don't recognize in our in our families and in our lives like they'll truly show during times of crisis mm -hmm. during times of big change mm -hmm. um, so that that to me kind of speaks to like the importance of of having family of forming family um because you know maybe now when you're in your 20s or 30s you can feel like oh i can go on like this forever i, I can be free and like without responsibility and uh you know <laughs> i can be young forever but you know anything can happen at any moment and if you don't have that, you know, close knit web of support, um, then well, you're just gonna fall through the cracks. It'll be hard. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. Uh, we talked about like social interaction with like strangers and and people we exchange goods with, but something we don't often talk about is how how we interact with our family, right? And the sort of conversations that we have with our parents. Yeah. Um, one of the things that my parents always tell me is like, you, you can tell us anything or we should be, you should be most comfortable talking to us about anything, like not your friends, not anyone else, but like us. Yeah. Um, and I think the idea behind that is like, they, they'll always have my back or, you know, the family is sort of this next level of a relationship where it's not just about how like how much value we bring to each other it's that even if you are not being very valuable to me right now you're yeah. still family and so like i will treat you as such and i will give you that respect and i will i will um you can trust in me that that sort of thing so um i think it's it's very important to to build that relationship i know um we had a few conversations about what it means to sort of um pay back your parents or 
mm-hmm. you know, give give back to them what they give gave to you. And I, I honestly, I think I have to have this conversation with more people and, and people from different cultures because I, I honestly don't know what people think is the right amount to give back or if you should even give back in general. Um, my heart tells me that, you know, I, I have to give back in some way or another. Um, I think the best gift is definitely time. Um, but yeah, like, a, w- what do you think about this? What do you think is a good balance of, um, I guess, taking and giving and and actually uh, participating in that exchange, a transfer of like, goods and services, but, you know, not just goods and services, but, you know, familial, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what do you think is a good balance of give and take in that case? I mean, like, in in Korean culture, it's, like, there's there's that whole concept of yongton, like, Mm. um, that spending money. Yeah. Um, And when you're successful, one of the the biggest signs that you've made it is being able to give yongton to your parents. Mm. that kind of spending money <laughs> and so you know my my mom jokes about it all the time like june you're gonna get me three thousand dollars a month right <laughs> i'm like you know we'll see <laughs> um but i like traditionally i think that's a very common way that um you know it, it's both practical and and symbolic and meaningful mm. um when you <laughs> first i don't know text your mom uh, like Hey, I deposited however much dollars into your account. Like in Korean culture, that's like a sign of you know so much respect, and uh, that's that's what makes a good son. Mm. Um, in terms of exchanging time and I don't know and quality time, like it's difficult with family because you know when when you experience like negative emotions and things in your life that you're not quite expressing um like paradoxically the ones we express or vent our frustrations to um is like are the people we're closest to Mm. because that's that's just easy (laughs) to take out uh, your anger on you know maybe more so than a stranger Mm -hmm. um and, and so i think you know some of the effects of you know, people just living their day-to-day lives and accumulating a lot of baggage, a lot of like tiny paper cuts from their days and, you know, stress, you know, that can creep, you know, and, and find itself in, let's say, your interactions with your parents. And I know you and I have experienced that to some degrees. And there are some things that our parents say that that pisses off, us off and there's some i'm sure there's things we say and the ways we say it that pisses our parents off mm-hmm. um so you know i i think i'm going to be try to be more mindful um, that i don't do that that you know I, I think my mom's side of the family especially has a uh, has a habit of being like very sarcastic um and and sometimes that can come across the wrong way for me or like I, I feel sensitive to that um, and I I know it's not coming from a bad place it's like a deeply ingrained uh, habit a, a way that it's a kind of coping mechanism let's say um, but, but not the best one so like can we get around those can we have conversations about those kind of little ticks um, and and blips in our family interactions mm-hmm. that you know, that are preventing that kind of building of positive relationships and momentum. Um, so I've, I've just been thinking about that and the, the little things we do in our interactions. Mm-hmm. I'm, one thing that I'm curious about too is I feel like in our current culture, um, we, we don't really pride ourselves in our family name anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I know like in, in, in antiquity or just in the olden days, like your family name meant so much, right? Like if if you're from the Park family, like you're, you're super rich or like you, you have a lot of um, like 
almost like a royalty kind of idea. But nowadays, like, we don't have that sort of family pride. And I don't know how prevalent it is in, I guess, like Western cultures or anything, but I know previously in Asian cultures, it used to be a big thing. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't feel that anymore. Like I don't, I don't go around saying I'm Paul Lee mm-hmm. from the, the Lee family. And, and I don't like wave that around in pride. So I'm wondering if that's sort of been harmful. Mm-hmm. Um, and has sort of weakened our uh, allegiance to our own families and our our social networks there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. It, there's like less responsibility to really own up to that kind of name, right? Mm-hmm. We're more individualistic. Yeah, yeah. And I think this the simplest explanation for that is like we've kind of lost track of our stories right mhm the history and story of our our family and our nations especially for let's say second generation you know asian american canadian or any other ethnicity mhm cuz it's you know if you had that you know quality time of you know positive interactions with your parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles who can all give you parts and pieces of the story of your family story you know then you can have a richer sense of who you are who you came from what your ancestors were like you know just like immediate ancestors or like mm-hmm. you know and, and what kind of people they were what kind of uh, circumstances and environments they lived in and overcame right um, because so that's really important to remember it's it reminds you that like there's a lot that you are capable of that you don't even know um because you know that those genes are in you too um and it shows you you know it teaches you to be really grateful for what you have and like the position you are in and you know fun fact like for the past 3.5 billion years, every single one of your ancestors has reproduced successfully on this planet. <laughs> um, I just thought that was, you know, it's an obvious but like crazy fact. Um, and so there's that very, very long story mm. of you um, that, that should inform your identity um, and where you want to go uh, but we just don't know. <laughs> We're just mm-hmm. not taught. We're not interested. We don't know why it's valuable. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm using we very loosely here. It's, it's probably a bad, you know, practice. Mm-hmm. Right. But but maybe in general among second generation immigrants, you know, I think reconnecting to culture and our histories is mm-hmm. very important. Mm-hmm. And having that pride, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it pride, right? Just, you don't need to be prideful in your family name or identity. You just, well, you you know that there's, you know, both, you know, strengths and weaknesses in your, in your family. Mm-hmm. Um, but things you can be proud of, uh, things maybe not to be so proud of uh, in your history. But um, th- I think those are all things that, really make your experience of life like richer like the better you know your your identity right and in in trying to achieve that i've also been like looking for uh i guess korean role models more Mm -hmm. and more korean role models um because i feel like i've been lacking that in my life and um so one of the one of the people that i recently been like uh, fawning over <laughs> is uh, Jim Young Kim, right? Yeah, yeah. So he was a—he's uh, the world—he's uh, the president of the world of the World Bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he recently stepped down, actually, like just last week. I think uh, he's the president of Dartmouth or one of the the university university and yeah, in the states. Yeah, now. I don't know if he still still is. Mm-hmm. Um, 
he was in the past, but now he's like moving on to investing more in the, uh, or trying to get more investors in the private sector to help with like a lot of human humanitarian um, projects. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so Jim Young Kim, like I, I saw him through Bending the Arc. Yeah. Uh, so him and Paul Farmer and Ophelia Dow, um, they started this sort of organization called Partners in Health, and essentially they uh, they brought uh, like vaccines, cheaper vaccines, tuberculosis vaccines to um, places like Haiti, uh, Peru, Rwanda, and, and they helped uh, to really uh, lower the the burden of HIV AIDS in, in these countries as well. Um, but watching that film, I think it wasn't so much the film, but I guess uh, Jim's role in it <laughs> that mm-hmm. really spoke to me. I, I think um, somehow like, I, I just felt really connected to this, this Korean man, right? this Korean like American, mm-hmm. which, is a, which hits close to heart, right? Mm-hmm. And the vision that he had and the passion that he had is something that I, I haven't seen in a Korean role model. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it made me think to myself, you know, this is something I could be. Like, yeah, if, if I saw like some other random like Caucasian uh, person do the same thing, I don't think I'd have the same connection. I, I, I would think, oh, they're... They're just another person who's who's doing these great things, but for some reason I, I really connected personally with uh, with Jim. I, I, don't, I don't know if I should call him Jim, uh, Doctor Kim, or or whatever. Um, yeah, so that was a very inspirational moment. So I, I think there is something to be said about um, going back to your roots, and um, you know, it, it's it's a tri- it's like a tribal thing. You know, yeah. like it's someone, a member of your tribe is it's like this amazing warrior. You know, you feel inspired by him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I felt that like very, very viscerally. Yeah. And, and sometimes that can be like very dangerous, right? Like you mm-hmm. follow that charismatic tribal leader. Um, and if he is espousing hatred towards other tribes and calling them, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> lesser than then we know not, you know, that's a sign of a bad leader. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's true. There's, there's something so viscerally different about that experience about, um, let's say, like, when I, even when I see Ken Jong on stage, you know, yeah. or when I saw him in Crazy Rich Asians, like, I was just watching the movie and I kind of, <laughs> like, startled and jumped out of my seat a little bit. I was like, Oh my God! This this Korean actor that I like is on screen. Mm. I'm like just really happy to see that. Um, like, you know, you can you can kind of rationalize all you want and say it shouldn't that kind of race and ethnicity shouldn't matter. Like, people should be judged by their merits, and like we should look up to people based on their character. And like, yes, like absolutely right. But there's also that added component of like the way your your body and like your your tribal systems <laughs> react to when you see someone that that in the tribal estimation it's something like that person has ex- access to a similar array of uh, experiences and backgrounds as me and so thus he or she is like more relatable closer in the family tree <laughs> of, of of humanity to me Right, so it's like, uh, you know, it, it's kind of that same response when you see like family you haven't seen for a very long time. Um, it's like, oh my God, like <laughs> I, I haven't seen you for a long time, but, but we're family and, and like I recognize that. My my body knows that and it's so strange. Um, there, There's also, you know, I think a lot of um, the, the figures that Koreans respect, um, you know, a lot of them come from like the kind of Korea's revolutionary like fighters who like uh, who fought against uh, like Japanese uh, during the Japanese colonial times and like 
set up a temporary Korean government in Manchuria. And like, there, there's that whole story that, you know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but that's so rich of like stories of like just Koreans who really valued freedom and like valued the culture and um, really went to great lengths to like, yeah, to, to protect it. And, you know, Korea has our own uh, Jean d'Arc, Mm. You know, um, I, yeah, yeah, Joan of Joan of Arc, Joan of Arc, um, and uh, I can't quite remember her name. Which is a no, I think it's Yu Kyungsun. I'm, mm -hmm. I might be a little off, but she essentially, you know, she was 17 years old, um, and she participated in the protests uh, for like, you know, against Japanese occupation of Korea. Um, she was captured and like brutally tortured, like by the Japanese, and, and and she passed away as a result of that. But like to her dying moments, like she was screaming, uh, like it. The the translation is something like yeah, freedom for Korea, right. uh, freedom for the Korean people. Um, so like I I think if you're interested, those kind of stories that you know I've always heard about in like my Korean comic books. Um, for for young people like like those are very inspirational role models as well. But maybe from like I don't know the Japanese perspective, they're just you know uh, troublemakers and uh, you know and and assassins and uh, bad people. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's really important to reconnect with some of those role models from like your family, your your history, your ancestry. Man, I I wonder. I want to talk to you also about the importance of history, maybe in medicine. Or there's there's a lot of ways in which I feel like history is is beneficial to us. And um, I always find that you know sometimes I feel strained because I'm trying to create my own history, or I'm trying to create a culture of my own based on sort of what I what I experience and what I go through. Mm -hmm. But I never really look back and read about, you know, what actually happened, and then build mm -hmm. my uh, conceptual frameworks through that. Mm -hmm. uh, the way that I think this connects to medicine is like, what's going to happen in the next few years, um, in terms of how connected people are to the history, and how that's going to affect their care, right? Um, so I, I imagine like at times when people were connected better to to their past, um, I, I feel like it would have been actually easier to provide care because there's at least something, there's like something that's grounding them and there's something, they, there's like a system of beliefs that they follow and it would be easier to interact with, with people who sort of have this solid foundation. Um, and so maybe like in like psychological care, like for mental health, Specifically, mm -hmm. like people, I, I read some paper. I think like people who were um, more religious or or had stronger faith were able to uh, had better outcomes, like better health outcomes from one, a certain intervention. Um, and that's because you know they they sort of had this will to to move forward and to um, to live on essentially. Um, and I'm wondering if people have that same sort of level of faith and belief and, and connectedness to their past that will help them to move forward. Um, I think we, we see that also in like the identity crisis, crises that we see um, going on right now with like gender and with, um, with even like cultural, like some people thinking that they're from that they that they belong to cultural groups that they weren't necessarily born in, like mm -hmm. that Asians thinking that you know they relate more with black culture or Asian culture or things like that. Like that sort of like identity um, crisis. That uh, yeah, just I, I don't want to call it disillusionment because I I don't want to be offen offensive in any way, but. Uh, people are having a difficult time deciding who, what they belong to and who they are. And, and I think that's going to lead to 
worse health outcomes. Like you, you, you can't act as um, you can't act as how, how do I put it? It's it's harder to to live without something to sort of go back on. Um, I, I don't think that's the best way to put it, but I mean I agree. Like, <clears throat> and I think like the literature very strongly supports that case, right? And you know you look at why there's so much like focus on the transgender community, for example. Like, if you look at the literature, like you'll see consistently that the suicide rates, like mortality rates for mm -hmm. that transgender population is consistently higher. And, you know, you know, that's partially a reason for, or like, you know, LGBTQ, you know, other, other members of that community. Mm -hmm. You see like, like, why is that happening? Is it, is it prejudice? Like, yes, like that factors in for sure. Um, but, you know, probably a large part of it is, is also that idea of identity, like, like who am I as a person? Like, what is my sexuality like? And you know, those are very visceral, deep questions that, um, is, especially if there's not support for that identity, like around you, it can be very alienating and like extremely painful, and, and can cause a lot of suffering. Which mm -hmm. is why I think you know a lot of people will choose to take their lives away, like because of that suffering. And so, you know. And it makes sense from a theoretical perspective. Your, like, the function of your identity is, <clears throat> it's not just some like you know, artsy humanity thing that we construct for ourselves to you know make ourselves feel better. Like it's it's literally the basis and like axis of everything we do. It's, you know, why, <laughs> why, why be motivated to pursue medicine over anything else? Like that's baked into our identity. Like, let's say, let's just take a simple decision. Like, like what are you for dinner? Like there's theoretically like a billion things you could eat for dinner, mm -hmm. you could not eat. You could eat a blade of grass, you could eat Mexican food, you could eat Korean food, you could, I don't know. There's like, you know, yeah. endless array of decisions. And identity is one of those things that constrains your kind of decisions based on like, your previous past experiences. And like, if you grew, grew up eating Korean food, you're gonna be attracted to Korean food. And like that simplifies your decision and that gets the ball moving in terms of motivation as we talked about. Um, or like, who do I associate with? Like, what group do I belong to? I grew up in like, you know, Christian like background. So maybe I'll go to church, like, you know, you know, a lot of these social structures are failing, but but at least if you have that identity, then you can be like that simplifies your decision um, and and your role. But if that kind of those simplification processes aren't there, then your potential for decisions kind of multiplies infinitely, and you're just lost in a sea of chaos um, that you have no idea how to navigate. So. Identity is how you navigate in the world. I, your identity and history shapes how you'll move forwards and, and what your purpose is. If you don't have that, then you're left purposeless and, and miserable and paralyzed by choice. So, you know, and isolated from everyone. So, so it's really important, I think, to like reconnect to your story, your identity, and, and to really foster that um, and, and not, not what, sell, sell yourself short. Um, you don't, I don't think you have to, like that, that was one thing for me. Like, I think in the past year, I've tried to listen to like a lot more pop music. Like I specifically have a playlist called, you know, like Motown so that I can have a better time when I go to Motown and know like the music that you know, all the kids who like grew up listening to like, you know, white music here, no. <laughs> right. And, you know, that's helped me like have, you know, more better, more integrated times at Motown or other events, but that's not fully my identity. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this year I, I wanna try to foster like 
what is mine and what I do feel connected to. Um, and yeah, and, and be proud of it and not feel like, you know, I have to be ashamed of it or, or that it's weird. I mean, it, it can be weird. Weird weirdness is a part of my identity, but <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let other people look down on me because of it. If they look down on me, well, I'm going to say or <laughs> indicate in some way a big fuck you. <laughs> yeah. I think we've said that in every, like every podcast the last like five weeks. Yeah. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> shot every time we say fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love that. And that, that was sort of my New Year's resolution uh, as well, right? I, I wanted to be more myself. Uh, yeah. I wanted to let myself show. And I think you worded it pretty well there. Um, realizing what I actually connect with and then fostering that. Uh, I, th I think that's something that, you know, everyone should have a go at at some point. Yeah. Uh, and I actually, I wonder because I feel like sometimes people uh, are able to sort of have this already connectedness to begin with. You know, some people seem very natural with what they like and and um, you know what what they what they really love to do or like uh, things like that. Like I, I feel like some people really have those preferences down, um, and and so I, I wonder if it is sort of our personality to sort of be more evaluative about what we what we enjoy. We're like we're we're sort of like self-conscious in that sense, in in the case that like we re we repressed a lot of the things that we actually enjoy because yeah. we weren't sure if it would be accepted or if it was the right thing to to enjoy. Yeah. Uh, and and now we're sort of getting to a point where we're like, you know, fuck it. Like, I just want to be the best that I can be, and I want to be my best self, sort of thing. Yeah. I was talking to another, you know, Korean friend that I have in like my med class, and he was saying, he was saying something like, I felt originally felt guilty about like going to bars and socializing with people, but then I realized that when if I go and practice socializing, then that'll be good practice for socializing with residents, future like and you know getting their advice and things. So you know it's actually beneficial for my career so i so he rationalized you know socializing and having fun by you know by saying it's helpful for my career mm. I, you know that should seem like just so backwards and fucked up right <laughs> you know but those things aren't good because they're better for your career no those those things are good because like they're just inherently good and fun. Like the purpose of your working career should be to facilitate, you know, those kind of fun experiences, like not the other way around, not, you know, I can have fun so that I can have fun with residents so that I can improve my career prospects. Like, <laughs> you know, that, you know, that model of thinking <laughs> logic is like very distorted. Mm. So, you know, yeah, that, that's another one of my New Year's resolutions. Like, I'm going to have fun. Like, I'm, I'm going to do the things that I enjoy and, like, I really like. Uh, so, you know, the first weekend back, I'll, I'll give myself, like, a, I'll, I give myself a A, A minus for my efforts in, in having fun. <laughs> yeah. what, would, what would bring that to an A plus? Um, what would bring that to an A plus? What are you missing in your life? What what's what's the uh, the forbidden fruit? What's what's the fun that you you're afraid to have? What's the fun that I'm? Yeah, I'm I'm thinking. What elevates a dish is like the garnish and spices. Yeah. Yeah. So, I would like some spice. Hmm. All right. It's what I'll leave it at. All right. Well put. Well said. Yeah. I think that's a, also a perfect way to end this uh, 
episode. Um, hope you all enjoyed. Uh, like June, find ways to add a little spice in your life. Garnish your dish. Um, and yeah, be your best self. Catch you later. Bye.